previously on American Genocide. Our investigators, Crystal Echohawk and Lachey Wesley, traveled to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation to interview members of the community in the lead up to a ground penetrating radar survey. This high-tech test will determine if the bodies of Native American students were buried under the campus of a former Catholic boarding school named Red Cloud. Along the way, they sat down with administrators from the school, like Macaw Black Elk and Tashina Banks-Rama, who balance their Lakota identity with their employer's dark history. They're not teaching theology the way they used to. They're teaching like Lakota culture, like Lakota language. They met activist groups, including the Youth Council, and their leaders, Eleanor Ferguson and Philip Ironshell, who are fighting to rid the reservation of any Catholic Church presence. We know these facilities on our territory are capable of having children under them. And why are we just sitting around? What are we waiting for? Bring our children home. We want our children back. So we decided to do that ourselves. They met Marcia Small, the operator of the ground-penetrating radar. I'm looking for the stolen kidnapped children. And of course, they met former boarding school students of all ages who all had varying tales of pain, forgiveness, and even fond memories of their time attending Red Cloud School. We were beaten regularly, razor straps. A lot of the boys were burned, hot radiators. What started as a fact-finding mission for host Crystal and Lachey. How do you reconcile? First, we don't want to jump ahead to talk about healing prematurely. Has become something so much more personal. Sorry, I was just thinking about my grandfather a lot today. <sighs> today is the day of the ground-penetrating radar event at Red Cloud School. Our visit here to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation was always leading up to this moment when the school's Truth and Healing Commission would survey its grounds. I was really anxious to try and get there very early because I wanted to get a temperature read on just like how everybody was feeling. We're starting to see the community arrive, including plenty of people we've already sat down with, including the school's faculty members, McCaw Black Elk and Tashina Banks Rama. There's Dallas Nelson from Thunder Valley, Kyle White, Marsha Small, and Basil Braveheart. And of course, a couple of the survivors we've met Literally everyone. We start the morning with a wipe away the tears prayer, led by Basil Braveheart. Everyone is sitting across from each other. Everyone is respectful. I rarely feel emotional and like I try and just be tough, but um, I think I really felt it going into that day. And I really, really felt it when... Uh, Basil was doing that prayer, and uh, I had to walk away because it was it was too much. It's a very very serious day, and just the culmination of what it meant for the community. Um, it was a very big moment um, that I knew I was like somehow a part of just to just to observe. I very much felt that um, as I went there, and then there was this element of a potential demonstration and potential conflict. So there was some anxiousness there and, and kind of seeing how that might play out. This is American Genocide.
There's the youth council, Philip and Eleanor, and their crew. We stopped them in the parking lot to see where their heads are. Um, so back in October last year, we came here with our community, our elders, with a list of demands, and we had nine demands. And none of them have been met, so I'm really disappointed to be here and see little progress has been made. While we're talking to them, their social media manager is snapping photos of us. I know that a few Jesuits here, they don't believe bad things happened here. And they told that to us straight up. Like, you need hardcore proof for us to believe you. The narrative out there that this is a crime scene and there's bodies everywhere with no evidence of that whatsoever. But you know, that's hard. They tell us they're waiting on horses that they hope will arrive soon. Just kind of make our presence known with the horses and we like, we like to show out when we show up. McCall walks by to tell everyone in the parking lot that they're starting a presentation in the auditorium. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. They just didn't start it again. Inside? Yeah, inside. Given the history, it's an awkward encounter, but also speaks to the efforts being made by folks on opposite sides of the issue. Inside the school's auditorium, scientist Marsha Small is giving a presentation to the community on how the ground-penetrating radar works. I also utilize geophysical instruments to locate the children in a non-invasive and non-disturbing way. Including in my research is the actual history of the United States, the truth telling. Coming out of the presentation, we bump into Alex Whiteplume, an elder and advisor of the Youth Council. What did you think of the presentation? Boring. <laughs> Last time we met him, he was with the Youth Council, plotting out a potential demonstration for today. At the same time, he worries his grandson, Surrounded Bear, may encounter something terrifying as a volunteer working with Marsha Small on the ground-penetrating radar survey. How does it feel to see your grandson? He's 17 years old, mm -hmm. and... I just came to protect my grandson in case they find a body. What to do, you know, to protect him. So you must be so proud of him out there learning that technology. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just natural for him to fall into this, and plus they offered him to position, he just, yes, he said, I'll take it, I'll do it. He could teach this on and continue teaching it to a whole bunch of nations so we could all resolve this grief that's unresolved that we live with every day, so trauma. Surrounded Bear has answered Marsha's call for an all-Native research team to scan every boarding school on Native land nationwide. You know, I'd like to just create a coalition for Indigenous people that have their own instruments or, you know, have people in there that are working for this. Alex? So you said your grandparents, your parents, and you went to school. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing you remember hearing about Holy Rosary and the way it impacted your oh. grandparents or your parents? Well, the, the, the first part was they had to uh, cut their hair. They get beat for just speaking their language. From day one, they were beaten. And they were beaten into submission. And so they had no parents to protect them, and they had to submit to what was being done to them. Um, there's a lot of shameful things that happened by the priests and by the nuns, but that's embarrassing, so nobody ever talks about it. Think about it, way out here in the middle of the frontier, nothing. And these priests just have the way with our children. And I don't want to share no more about that, because I know a couple of intimate stories about some of my grandpas that were shamed. I'm sorry. Mm. That's hard. When you're talking about Red Cloud today, you said there are some good things here. So, you know, with the language 
curriculum and the, the way, um, you know, with culture and some things. So how do you, in your mind, how do you balance those two with the history here and the things that happened to, to your own relatives and family? I draw a straight line and I separate the Jesuits, the nuns, the Catholic Church. And on this half, our relatives that work here, and they're Lakota, they speak language, they're doing a good curriculum, they teach a lot of good history. So that's the way I keep myself sane, is to draw that line. And this side, I don't want to talk too much about because I don't have nothing good to say about them. And I don't want to say nothing bad about them. Not yet, anyway, until we find those bodies. As the morning turns to noon, tension continues to build. A circle of chairs and microphones are brought in to the manicured lawn. Nervous Jesuit priests are zipping around. The youth council has placed a billboard right up against the brand new church. It says, we are the grandchildren of the Lakota you weren't able to remove. News crews are setting up, mostly local native news, but also NBC is there to do a full package. I spot Tashina and Eleanor in a private conversation between two cars. This is becoming a day of unexpected pairings. For all the tension between them, their conversation appears to be positive. At least it was when they went their separate ways. But moments later, Eleanor's partners in the youth council were doing exactly what they said they'd do if their demands weren't met. They ride in on horseback, making circles around the school's brand new church. Traditional singers burst into songs from the American Indian movement. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, these two big SUVs pulled into Red Cloud, and there were these whispers of Department of Interior officials like, who's here? Oh shit, the Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs is here. I mean, it was a surprise. Everybody was standing in the circle, and then all of a sudden he, he walked up, and it was really unexpected, not planned. Who's you? My name is uh, Brian Newland, Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs. Wait. Ojibwe, State El Sidi, and Kalinani, and Really glad to be out here today uh, in your homelands on a beautiful early summer day. And uh, holy wah, it's hot out. <laughs> For folks that don't understand, I mean, like, the assistant secretary is the one that's leading that entire federal agency within the Department of Interior that deals with all things that relates to tribes. And so to see him out on out on Pine Ridge Reservation and showing up was first like, wow, okay. And this is actually the person that's leading the investigation. So that was just of like a moment, which is like just electrifying. So I want to thank uh, all of you uh, who are here to uh, continue this healing process that has been uh, you know, going on from the grassroots and tribal communities for a long time. So for the first time, we as the United States federal government are acknowledging what we did with these boarding schools and why they existed. And it's important, I think, that people understand that the boarding schools were part of a, a twin policy of taking land from Indian people and assimilating Indian people. The thought was that Indian people wouldn't need so much land if we were all assimilated. And then as part of that process, there was a deliberate choice to target Indian children to carry this out um, because they thought it would be cheaper and safer. And so the boarding schools came about and now there's not an Indian person in this country, Native Hawaiian, uh, who hasn't been affected by these boarding schools. 
The fact that I'm speaking to you today in English instead of my language, Anishinaabemowin, is a testament to that. And so we're going to tell the story. Uh, we're going to continue our work and explain uh, the scope of the boarding schools so the American people all know uh, what this was, why it was done, and how big it was. And then we can begin the work of building up what was torn down. Uh, but that first begins with acknowledgement, and I'm really honored to be here uh, with you as part of that first step. I think it's emotional because he explicitly says, this is what we've already found. This was a formal policy of the United States government to go after these children to dispossess tribal nations of their lands. This was the easiest, cheapest, most efficient way to go about with the end result, which was to get the land. It's really incredible that he just happened to be there at this time. And it was really powerful to see him address what the federal government is doing. And while he's here, there's the youth who have big signs talking about like the genocide. I think it's a historic moment that there is a native person in this position. So I think you saw a lot of people there listening very closely to see what the federal government is going to do and if it's going to be enough. Something the assistant secretary said was, you know, the fact that he's not, I mean, he's in this role, but he's speaking English because that's a byproduct. That is a successful outcome that the United States government and all these religious institutions set up. You know, the report really shows the methodical way that they went to obliterate tribal languages by, for example, mixing children in classrooms that didn't speak the same language. So the only common language could be English is just, you know, you really get a sense of Secretary Newland's like commitment, passion, how personally this impacts him. But then I also know, too, you know, it's, it's the same thing I think that so many people find themselves in. He's, he's in a difficult position, too, because the United States government is his employer. And at the end of the day, you know, we, we know the history of this government and what it's done to Native peoples. Next, Oglala Sioux Tribal President Kevin Killer took the floor. So again, thank you for participating. You know, I just appreciate all of you for being here. Uh, but, uh, but I know that the, the, we have to we kind of on the schedule. Killer was trying to work their way out of there, but at this point, all eyes were on them. President Killer decided not to throw away this moment. So again, thank you for, for being here and, and doing the work and doing that, and we're gonna try to support you know whatever initiatives you need. Um, and it's just good to see so much community here, you know, like, like helping with this. So whoop you up. Thank you, everyone. The president's words were politely received. Then he noticed two of our friends, the elder advisors to the youth council, Two men who held President Killer's position before, Brian Brewer and Alex Whiteplume. And things took a dramatic turn. He was right. And I just want to acknowledge uh, uh, President Brewer and President Whiteplume. So I see both of them just as a chair, uh, just acknowledging their leadership as well. And uh, again, so, but we do have a schedule to keep. But thank you, everyone. I appreciate all of you. What do you love? Just come and say thank you. Yeah. Take a couple minutes. Huh. But this one, uh, uh, come out here, come out here. It's out. I just wanted to like to share with you, Tushka, thanks for bringing the assistant secretary down here in front of us. Well, I heard his talk and I wish he would have said words like, not use the word healing, but we're about to address genocide. We're here looking for the bodies of our ancestors. 
And we're not gonna go healing until genocide is addressed by the United States government. And we're meeting on the Roman Catholic Church land in the middle of treaty territory. This is a strange situation we're faced with. But I'd like you to go out across Indian country and tell them about genocide, use that word genocide. The Pope just met with people in Alaska and he didn't mention genocide. He's trying to do a cheap apology. I am not gonna accept no cheap apology. <laughs> he was just so authentic and really, you can hear it. Like you, you know, and people sort of lulooing, that's what you call it in the background, but like agreeing. I was sitting right next to Alex Whiteplume while Newland was speaking and he whispered and said next to me, genocide. Let's see if he says genocide. The church needs to own up. We need to find the bodies of our great grandpas and it needs to pay back rent so we can restore our way someday in the kinship system that we lived in harmony on Mother Earth. So I'm not chewing you out, but please say genocide. That's what happened. And we're not gonna heal until we say see some type of justice by the United States. You need to have, we need to have justice towards you and we need to have justice towards this Roman Catholic Church that's invading into our territory. So I hope I didn't hurt your feelings, but these are facts that I'd like you to share with the rest of the Indian country. They cannot say the word genocide. They cannot make that admission because there's a whole legal framework that the United States would have to begin to submit itself to if it ever encouched any of that within the terms of genocide. But when you start getting into terminology like that, there's a very specific reason why Assistant Secretary Newland cannot say genocide right now, even though I would bet money he wants to because that's what it is. So with that, um, so yeah, so again, thank you for being here um, and thank you for the words, President. I mean, that is a big thing. And again, it's also about internal healing and you know healing our own families. Again, I appreciate everybody's time and stuff. So whoop you up, thank you. And thank you again to, to Red Club for getting us together. Thank you. With that, the event was over. The sun was starting to set. The Jesuits started folding the chairs. Marsha and Surrounded Bear were scanning the field. A few of us stood around, still processing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's such a surprise to see you here. I know, I wasn't expecting all this, but it's great. While Crystal was talking to Brian Newland, I sought out the man behind all of this. GPR, the ceremony, the Truth and Healing Initiative, Macaw Black Elk. It was impossible to guess how he was interpreting all of this. I had to ask him myself. Did you have a chance to chat with Secretary Newland? I did briefly, yeah. When we had no idea that that was going to happen, I mean, I couldn't have thought for a more serendipitous outcome, right, for that to happen. Like, to have him show up and be there, I think, was just a, an extra sort of way of us saying, you know, please know what we're doing and please know that this is happening. Um, and it's important that people know that. What was going through your mind leading up to this initiative? So I was glad that community members showed up at all. Um, and, and that was the most important thing was that people were interested and people wanted to, to come and, and learn. Um, and to start to hopefully recognize in whatever way they can um, that, you know, we're not just talk, we're working on the things that need to happen. 
And so that was a, a, an important day to demonstrate that. And how did you feel when it was all done? <sighs> Relief. And now they're searching. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, you know, we have no reason to believe that there's any graves outside of the cemetery other than the one other testimony site that we have. And again, you know, that's, that's not a conclusive thing. But, you know, the narrative out there from some of our naysayers is that, you know, this is a crime scene and there's bodies everywhere with no evidence of that whatsoever. Um, zero, you know, sense of, of who and, and where, um, you know, and, and that's all research that we can and will be doing. So this narrative that this was a site of, of, you know, just endless amounts of murders of children buried haphazardly across this landscape is paranoia and uh, just speaks to a certain amount of like distrust that the, that members, certain members of the community have with this institution that surprisingly doesn't extend to the government boarding school down the road um, that was also a boarding school. They've not protested there ever. They've only protested here. So I think that just speaks to, I hope, a level of transparency on our part um, and uh, a commitment to making sure that we are telling the whole story. Today could have gone a number of ways, but it went this way. The community getting to a place where they can sit together in a circle on a lawn at a former Catholic Indian boarding school. The activists, the school faculty, the federal government, all natives with open wounds from the past, but clear-eyed on the future. I bumped into Eleanor one last time and asked her what she thought, especially about her mentor, Alex Whiteplume. Oh my goodness. I was shaking in my chair because Alex, he rarely speaks in front of big crowds, but it was something that needed to be said. It felt liberating. It felt like, um, yeah, it, it definitely made, it made my day. I asked her about that interaction I witnessed in the parking lot between her and Red Cloud's executive vice president, Tashina Bakes-Rama. In those previous meetings, they got heated sometimes. The last meeting we had with her, it was like that, you know, the energy was off. It wasn't right. And so, like, seeing her today, I had to tell her, like, hey, you know, I know, like, at our last meeting, I was very, like, emotional. My emotions were high, and I, I was angry. And I told her that I apologized. And then I told her that I had to take a step back from this work because, you know, um, it brought up a lot of my own traumas because my grandpa went here. Both of his brother and his sisters, they all went here. So I realized this school truly traumatized my family's entire bloodline. And, it, you know, I had to work through every single trauma. I'm still not done, but I'm better than where I was whenever I started this work. You have to forgive your elders. You have to forgive your parents for the things they've did to you, uh, the things they've done to you, because, you know, that's the only way we could move forward is understanding that, you know, this abuse was taught to them by the church. And um, once I realized that, you know, it was the church that did that to me and my family, it was so much easier to forgive. It was so much easier to, you know, get up every day and, you know, look at my mom and, you know, tell her that I forgive her. It's always a healing journey every day, I feel like.
I'm just blown away. That was really emotional. Um, just you can hear the pain. The moment when she said she had to take a step back and work on her own personal traumas, it's, it's mind-blowing. And to certainly understand the way that trauma affects us and to just hear about Eleanor's own journey of really understanding what this school did to her family. With the moment when she says that she was able to finally forgive her mother. I just was like, you know, if I can say it, like I just felt so proud of this young woman, despite how tense it was that day to kind of hear that her and Tashina hopefully had a moment that was maybe a little bit reparative and where, again, maybe just everybody has a moment where they see one another that at the end of the day, even though they're coming at this in very different ways, they're all trying to hopefully get at the same thing, which is a good thing for the community. That's what I think is so profound is to hear Eleanor talk about that experience and truly what this means to her at the core. It's very touching to hear that. And in some ways you you wonder, are they going to be able to kind of maybe work together towards the same outcome? We'll have to see. On the next episode of American Genocide, we return to Pine Ridge to catch up with the cast and see the incredible evolutions. We discuss the results of the test, the state of the Truth and Healing Commission, and the government spotlight on Pine Ridge. The producer of this podcast would like to thank and acknowledge the following. Evolutionaries, supported by CAA and Pop Culture Collaborative. San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Serdna Foundation. Open Society Foundation, Novo Foundation, MacArthur Foundation, Christensen Fund, Pivotal Ventures, and JPB Foundation.